Our mission, our mission, our mission is to create an authentic Christian community. An authentic Christian community. That effectively reaches out. That effectively reaches out to unchurched people in love, acceptance, and forgiveness. So that they may experience the joy of salvation. The joy of salvation. And a purposeful life. And a purposeful life. And a purposeful life of discipleship. Morning sleep in service. Awesome. Good to see you guys. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. Just glad that you're here. And uh, we're actually this weekend in a transition between the Restart series, which we're just going to wrap up, and a series I'm starting next week called Arguing with God. Okay. So basically for the next six or seven weeks, I'm going to argue with God in front of you, and you're going to pray that I don't get struck by lightning. All right. That's what we're going to do. Bring your Bible. It's going to be awesome and scary. All right. But because we're transitioning between series, I thought it'd be a great time to talk about kind of the painful topic of transitions, because everybody in this room is in some form of transition. I mean, we're supposed to be transitioning from summer to fall. It doesn't feel like it yet. Well, maybe at least a little bit, but we're all in that transition. Parents are transitioning from a season of having their kids at home, and now you've been able to send them back to school. Thank you, Jesus, for that. College students... You're transitioning from mom's home cooking to a diet of Hot Pockets and Top Ramen. Good luck with that. All right, that's good. All right. Fifth graders are transitioning into middle school. Some folks, especially in our earlier services, are transitioning from parenting to grandparenting, and they're learning the beauty of being able to say something to your children about their children, and that beautiful phrase, like, take them back. You know, that's a a good phrase. In a couple of months, someone said, amen. Yeah, you've been there, right? In a couple of months, I'm going to transition because in December, I'm actually going to be closer to 50 than I am to 40. And that's scary for me. So I'm considering having a midlife crisis. I think I'm going to shave my head, get a tattoo on my face, and I'm going to start wearing skinny jeans. Okay, so um, it's a bad visual. Okay, all right, so... Some of us are transitioning from one job to another. Other people are transitioning from engagement to marriage. I mean, all of us at some level are caught in a swirl of change and transition. And here's a difficult truth about life. Change is the only constant. It's always going to be there. Just when you think everything is stable and good, something is going to change. My wife Laurel and I are living this right now. Over the last couple of weeks, we've transitioned our son to college. For the last 19 years, he's lived under our roof, in our house, and now he's, he's just not around as much. In fact, he's around a whole lot less. And it's okay because that's a part of life. Transitions are a part of life, but it doesn't make it easy. In fact, it's been a little bit difficult for it. I mean, there's cool parts. He's on his own. He's living independently. And that's the way that it's supposed to be. They are supposed to leave at some point. Um, that's news to some of you. You're supposed to leave. Go. Get out. Don't come back, okay? You're welcome, parents. All right, so, I mean, there's some of those parts of it that are very, very natural, but there's also some parts that aren't so easy because when change happens, you lose something. And when change equals loss, you kind of grieve the way the way things used to be, and then you've got a choice. You can stay there and not move and be stuck, or you can embrace the transition as a gift from God and restart your life. That's what we've been talking about over the last three weeks. In week number one, we recommitted ourselves 
to, as disciples of Jesus to denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus. In week number two, we re-engaged the biblical roots of our church and committed ourselves again to the priorities of worship and outreach and small groups. Last week, we saw the original church in Acts 2 explode and we renewed our passion for God's plan to touch the world. And if you remember, we used Acts chapter 2 as a descriptor and I want to start there because I want us to never lose this fact. This church, as cool as it was, was in transition. And I'm going to show it to you. The church was in transition from peace. Okay? And this is the description we see in Acts chapter 2. Now, you're going to notice something. Um, all your blanks are filled in on your outline. Our communications department got so excited about what we were preaching that they just filled in the outline. And that's not true. They did it by mistake. So anyway, you can follow along now. You don't have to write anything down. Okay? But they started with a season of peace, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I mean, it's a great season of peace, and it sounds so wonderful. People are sharing, people are praying, people are together, miracles are happening, people are hanging out, singing camp songs, eating s'mores. I mean, it's just that beautiful season. Some of you are like, that does not sound beautiful to me. If you're an introvert, I understand, okay? It's a great season, but they're transitioning from peace to a season of persecution, a deep season of persecution. Let me give you the history. In Acts chapter 4, if you start reading Acts 4, 5, 6, and 7, you find out the apostles are teaching about Jesus being raised from the dead and the leadership of the city of Jerusalem is not happy about that. They take them. They throw them in jail. They say, you need to shut up. You stop speaking in that name. You stop talking about this guy named Jesus. And they're like, yeah, sorry, can't do that. In fact, they actually ramp it up and they preach this incredible verse. Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And the leaders come back again and say, you guys need to tone down the rhetoric. Stop talking about the name of Jesus. And the, and, and the believers are like, yeah, I'm not sorry, we can't do that. We can't do that because that's the name that we were saved under. In fact, not only do they not stop talking about the name of Jesus, they actually ramp it up. The Bible says they pray for boldness and they keep talking and in Acts 5 the tension rises. The leaders come again. You guys need to shut up and the apostles say we need to please God rather than you. We don't answer to you. We're going to answer to God someday and they get beat up. They get thrown in jail and the tension keeps going up and one of the leaders in the church, a guy by the name of Stephen, he gets dragged up in front of the leaders. He preaches Jesus and he gets stoned. Not the kind of stone some of you are thinking about. <laughs> wakey, wakey, all right, all right. <laughs> the kind of stone where they throw rocks at you until you're dead. And his death closes with these words in Acts chapter 8. And Saul was there giving approval to Stephen's death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women, and he put them in prison. 
I mean, Saul, who later becomes a leader in the very movement he's trying to exterminate, he hits the believers at the grassroots level. Remember last week we talked about they met in the temple courts. They met in, during the week in their homes. And he hits them in, in the most intimate place of their community and starts dragging them off to jail. And the church finds themselves in a painful transition. They go from a season of peace to a season of persecution. And it's not easy. And it's in the pain of transition. That's where we start asking tough questions. I'm sure they were asking these questions too. God, where'd you go? Why did this shift this way? Why is this so hard? Why don't you make the pain go away? Why do I need to learn about faith and dependence? Why did it have to change? I mean, can't we go back to singing camp songs and, and eating s'mores? Can't we go back to the, that nice stuff? Why do we have to live through this? Here's the tough reality. This church was in transition. It was being dispersed. It was beginning to ripple out. But it was not an easy transition. From peace to persecution, that's a pretty big jump. So, here's the tough part. The church of Jesus wasn't just in transition from that. It was actually in transition in a bunch of other areas. Let's just unpack some of those. The original church was in transition from the physical presence of Jesus to the spiritual presence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, they were used to having Jesus in the center of everything. Jesus had told them, though, like we talked about last week, that he was actually leaving. And that's where we found the original church standing on the top of a mountain, staring up into the sky. God sends a couple of angels, ask him a question. Why are you staring in the sky? He's coming back, but you need to do what he told you to do. You need to get on mission with Jesus. And in the meantime, Jesus is going to send another one. Another part of the Godhead is going to come, and he's going to indwell each and every one of you. Jesus described him in John chapter 14. The Bible says this, if you love me, you'll do what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you'll see me. Because I live, you also will live. Can you imagine the transition of having somebody right in front of you, flesh and blood, every single day? God the Father, God the Son, incarnate, right in front of you. Can you imagine having that level of access and then all of a sudden it's gone? Can you imagine the tension coming in? I mean, it's so easy to believe and embrace when everything is going so well, but then it starts going nuts. It starts falling apart. I mean, I'm sure there were people praying, Jesus, you need to come back. You need to come back. I mean, this is hurting, so I need God with skin on right now. I mean, I need the, the water-walking, storm-calming, demon-rebuking part of the Godhead, and I need Him to show up again right now because I'm kind of freaking out. Like, I know you promised us the Holy Spirit was going to come, but I, I don't feel like I can see him. And I'm having a hard time with this transition. Can I remind you of something right now? Jesus did not leave the original church hanging when he gave them the Holy Spirit, and he most certainly has not left us hanging either. I mean, let me remind you of something. You can focus on what you don't have, or you can focus on what you do have, and what we have is this. 
As the New Testament church, we have the inerrant, infallible Word of God, and we have the comforting and convicting Holy Spirit of God available to not only be around us, but to indwell us. And when you take a a, a humble servant of God and put the Holy Spirit inside and then hand them the Holy Word of God, that is an unbelievably powerful spiritual force to be reckoned with. I mean, just when you realize what we have, It helps us to be able to make those transitions. There was even more transition for the original church. They also had to transition from the rules of the Old Testament law to the freedom of the new covenant. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of like fall because we just settle back into the rhythm of life. You know, I like it when things are predictable and smooth. I like it when I arrange things in order and they stay in order. It's part of my OCD, okay, but I like that. I like that natural rhythm and flow. And I think, to a point, all of us kind of enjoy that. I mean, it's tough when things change. And can you imagine being a Jewish disciple, following a rabbi, and all of a sudden God throws you a complete curveball and basically says you're going to change everything about your life. Not just the little pieces, you're going to change every single I mean, just in Luke chapter 22, the disciples get together for Passover. Good Jewish boys. They have done Passover year after year after year after year. They know exactly what to do. And then the Bible says this happens in Luke 22, verse 20. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. What? New covenant? What do you mean new covenant? What's up with that? What does that mean? We've been sacrificing animals to cover our sin for generations upon generations. Are we all of a sudden done with that? I mean, don't forget that their religion was a way of life for them. It saturated every part of their life. And suddenly they're transitioning out of what they had known for their whole life. That's a huge change. And we learned something there. Change is disruptive. That's kind of the point, right? Everything changed for these guys. Suddenly there was one sacrifice for all time, and sin was no longer merely covered, it was actually removed. That was crazy to these guys. Listen to Hebrews chapter 9. For this reason, Christ, meaning Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. All of a sudden, there's no more sacrifice, no more death, no more covering, there's complete removal of sin, All of a sudden, it's no longer based on our work and our effort. Suddenly, it's all about the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And God's saying, you need to lay down everything you've known for your whole life just so you'll be able to receive the new covenant, this new thing that I've got for you. I mean, that's a tough thing about transition, isn't it? You actually have to leave where you currently are in order to get where God wants you to be. You've got to lay down old stuff in order to open up your hands so that God can put something new. And that's what he's doing with this New Testament church. Saying, guys, this is the way it used to be, but it's not that way anymore. And you can either embrace that transition or you can fight against it. You know, this is the way it works for all of us. Maybe today God's calling you to leave an old relationship behind because you know it's toxic and it just doesn't need to be in your life anymore. That's hard to let go of. Maybe you've got a 
lay down an old methodology. Maybe you need to step beyond this thinking that says, but that, that's the way I've always done life. Why would God ask me to do something different? Maybe you'll have to release an old and dearly loved aspect of your life so God can do something new. I'll tell you what will happen if you don't. If you don't lay down old so that you're open to new, this is what's going to happen. You will always do what you've always done and you will always have what you've always had. Unless you're willing to embrace the transition. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says this, It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The Apostle Paul saying, don't go backwards. Don't go back to the old chains. Don't go back to the old rules. The rules are easier. They're comforting. We actually get used to doing checkbox Christianity. And Paul saying, no, 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 don't do that. Lay down that old stuff. I've got something new, a brand new covenant, a new relationship that God designed specifically for you. I remember my transition from conservative, religious, checkbox Christianity to this radical, crazy thing that I learned about later in my life called grace. I remember that transition. I'll never forget it because of how painful it was. I know I've told this story here many, many, many times before, but it's the best example I have of this. So I grew up in a conservative, religious, church-driven home. It was all checkboxes. You checked off enough boxes, God loved you, and everything was good. You didn't check enough boxes, you were evil, and you needed to come back to Jesus, come to the altar and repent one more time. And God was either mad or sad all the time. That's the way it worked. And then I went to a conservative theological Bible college, which just added to my list of checkboxes. When I interviewed at my first church to become a youth pastor, they asked me to write a series of papers on some social issues. You know, consumption of alcohol, divorce, a bunch of different things. I actually showed up in that church with a paper. Now stick with me through the whole story or you're going to get a really bad impression about CTK, okay? But I showed up with a paper and the title of the paper was Why Divorced People Must Remain Silent in the Church. And I had verses to back up my position. And I have no idea why, but they hired me anyway. So I showed up and I started my first couple of weeks as a youth pastor. And they introduced me to a middle school director. His name was Reed Townsend. Reed was like a Pied Piper with middle school kids. He was just an incredible human being. And Reed had a son named Benjamin. And I don't know why, but I just did the math in my head. And I just thought, well, he must be a widower. He must have lost his wife somewhere along the way. A couple of months in, Reed calls me one day and says, hey, we need to go for lunch. So could we go for lunch to, to MJ's Cafe in Steinbach, Manitoba, best Mennonite food you've ever had in your life? And I'm hungry right now, so I'm picturing it. And it's, it's good, okay, all right? And I sit across from Reed, and Reed says, you know, I, I don't know if you know this part of my story or not, but, but I made a decision to follow Jesus, and, and my wife decided she didn't want to follow Jesus, and she left. And we just finalized our divorce a couple weeks ago. And I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> All of a sudden, my friend's life doesn't fit in my little box anymore. So I go storming back to the church. I go storming down the, the, the hallway to Pastor Jim's office. He's my senior pastor, the guy that offered me the job. And I walk in, and I'm like, you knew! You knew my position and you knew Reed's circumstance. 
And Jim, who was Scottish, said, Grant, you might want to sit down. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> and I will never forget that conversation as long as I live. Because he said, Grant, there's two camps. One's the camp of law. And it's easier. You just fill out the boxes. And people are either in or they're out. And it's clean. Or there's a camp of grace. And it's messy. And it's hard. And if you choose it, people will accuse you of being a sellout and trying to sell things easy. But I want to remind you of something. That's the camp that Jesus chose when he dealt with you. And then he said, and you're not leaving my office until you pick your camp. And I picked grace because I knew how much grace it took for God to cover my pile of garbage. And the thought of that being removed from my record, that was revolutionary to me. What old thing do you need to lay down? So that God can replace it with something new. What old thought, what old idea do you need to just lay at the feet of Jesus and say, God, I'm going to step back. They were in that transition. Let's do one more, okay? The Old Testament or New Testament church was also in the transition from what I call membership to ownership. When the persecution broke out in that very first century, I'm sure there were a lot of people who wanted to turn in their membership cards. I mean, when the heat gets turned up, a decision's got to be made. Am I in or am I out? I mean, if it means getting beat up, most people are like, I'm out, right? I mean, it, 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 being a member, you know, when someone comes along and says, we're going to beat you up, you know, a membership card, a decoder ring, and a t-shirt are not very compelling reasons to hang around. And I love the fact that, that when that's what was facing this original group of believers, I love the fact that they didn't step back. I love the fact that they stepped out. In fact, listen to their prayer in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Now they know they're going to get hurt, but this is what they pray. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with unbelievable political correctness so that no one is ever offended by anything we ever talk about. Is that what your Bible says? Let me try and I'll try it again. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word really quietly, under their breath, so that no one would ever know that they're any different than anybody else in the office or at their school. Is that what it says? Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I love that. It's like, God, don't help me to be quiet. Help me to ramp up. I'm not going to tone down the rhetoric. I'm actually going to lift the tone and the volume around here. These disciples are owning the message. They're owning the name of Jesus. Even though they're putting their lives at risk, they're choosing to own the path that Jesus walked. And here's the crazy thing. They actually declared that their little movement was going to have open enrollment. Anybody could be a part of their group. In fact, in Acts chapter 15, it's an amazing story. 
A group of Jewish believers actually show up. They're Christians, but they're like, we're not comfortable with everybody getting in. So we would like to reinsert some rules. We need some holiness rules and check some boxes. It'll make us feel a whole lot more comfortable. In fact, they come up with this idea. If you're a guy and you want to be a Christian, you're going to need to have surgery before you get in. And it's on a part of your body that you don't want to have surgery on. Okay? As far as I'm going with that, all right? And I'm sure in that moment, women and children all wanted to be members. The guys are like, I'm out, man, NFL football every Sunday from now on, right? <laughs> you got to have surgery? Not in. James, the brother of Jesus, stands up in the middle of that group, and he says this, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for those Gentiles we're turning to God. I love his heart. So we're not going to make this hard for people. Are we going to ask them to live for Jesus? Deny themselves, take up their cross and follow Jesus? You bet we are. But we're not going to insert a whole bunch of human rules here because, because we believe that following Jesus demands everything already. The church is making a shift here from membership to ownership. Let me tell you why that's so important. I put it in your outline this way. Members have rights. Owners have responsibilities. Okay? I, I, was, I was a member at a health club. Okay? And I did what all health club members do. If I walked into the club and I'm doing my circuit and I showed up in a machine and, had a, you know, and it was broken, I did what all good health club members do. I went to the front desk and I complained about it. I said, you need to fix that machine. I, I, I paid fees in order to be able to do here. You completely jacked up my, my, my circuit today. What's your problem? You need to get some guy in here and fix that machine. I was a member. Those were my rights. I have a right to go on whatever she, machine I want to at any time, and you should have all my machines ready for me because I'm a member. I pay a fee. Now, I want you to think about this. If I actually owned that machine, do you know whose responsibility it would be to get it fixed? Mine. And the same thing works if you're going to be a part of this church. If you're going to own the mission, it means this. It means you're deciding to become a part of the solution, not merely an identifier of the problems. Let me try that again. I got one sedate amen. And then he half changed his mind. Okay, so. If you're going to be a part of the mission... You're going to become a part of the solution, not just merely an identifier of a whole bunch of problems. I mean, people tell me all the time, Grant, there's like, there's so much stuff messed up around here. I'm like, you think? Good grief, have you seen the leaders? Like, we're messed up. Why would we expect any different outcome? I mean, I, you know, I've had a guy actually say, I made a list of 20 things there's wrong with the church. <laughs> 20, that's all you got? I can tack a zero on the end of that 20. We're not even close to uncovering all the problems that are going on in here. Are you kidding me? You know why we got problems? Because we got people. <laughs> the first church owned the mission. They started looking around saying, nobody else has to take responsibility for any of this stuff except us. We got it. We're going to be a part of the solution, not just an identifier of the problems. And the amazing thing is some of them paid for it with their lives. 
And we are their legacy, and I believe they're calling us to the same mission. One last story, then we'll wrap up. So, I know those of you that have been around, you've heard all these stories before. Every September, right, you get to hear the same old stories. Before I pastored at Christ the King, I actually pastored at another church here in the county. and I took it on myself to become a critic of a very specific church in Bellingham, Washington. I did not like Christ the King Community Church. I'd never been here, but I didn't like anything about it. And I could give you just a whole pile of reasons why you shouldn't go there. I would tell you, you don't want to go to that Walmart church. Inch deep, mile wide. They don't even own Bibles. That's why they've got to put it up on the screen. <laughs> Music, lights, fog machines. you kidding me? You don't want to go there. Go to a real church. You know, I always laugh. Because I just imagine in my brain the conversations that were going on in heaven while I was spouting off. See, Jesus elbowing the Holy Spirit going, if that guy had any idea what we had planned for him, he would so shut up. He's an idiot. Twelve years ago, all of a sudden, everything in my life was completely upside down. And none of my checklist boxes worked anymore. Because I was lost. Hurting. And God had something new for me, and I'll be honest with you, I fought it. I fought it with everything in me. And in the midst of that transition, God taught me a really, really tough lesson. If you refuse to embrace transition... You will forever be stuck. Forever. So I have no idea what transition God's asking you to be in today, active participant in. I can just tell you what I understand. I understand that I was a critic. Now God's transitioned me into being a spokesperson. That's crazy. I know that... that I was a broken, ruined, wrecked human being that had no understanding of God's grace at all. Very religious, but I didn't get it. And now I'm still in the process of being transitioned into somebody who's still trying to figure out what it means to have all of this garbage in my past and still have a God who looks at me every day and says, that's my child. And I'm not just going to cover him. I'm going to take all that garbage away. As far as the east is from the west. Some of you are being transitioned. You've been a passive, silent observer here for years. And now God's calling you out to say, I want to transition you into somebody who's actively a part of the game. I want you to play. Put on the pads and get out there. You're probably going to take a few hits, but it'll be worth it. No more passive observing. You're actually going to be a participant in the mission that I've given to people to go out and seek and save the lost. Amen. Yeah. Now we're talking. All right? Finally. All right? 
Some of you are just like, you've been wrapped in fear your whole life. What are people going to think? I don't know what I'm going to do. That's why I hide in my cubicle and I, and I pray underneath of my breath and I listen to Christian music on my headphones so nobody will be bugged. Yeah. And God's transitioning you into the same thing that he asked the first century church to do. That you would pray, now, O oh Lord, consider their threats and allow my words every day to be spoken with boldness. Because grace has touched me, which means I am not afraid or ashamed to be a Bible-thumping Jesus freak. If you don't embrace the transition that God has for you, you will forever be stuck. And that decision is not between me and you. It's between you and Him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for every person in this room today who may have never met Jesus before and honestly, I may have just scared them. <laughs> but I pray that they would understand that it was your love, your extreme love that drove you to a cross so that they could be forgiven and set free. Not so they would be a passive observer, but that they would be an active participant in your mission. So Lord, I pray we'd own it. I pray that we would not just walk around with our church membership card and think that that means something. Lord, I pray that we would own the mission of the man that we named our church after, Jesus Christ the King. Lord, I pray for those who are transitioning and it may be so difficult. Lord, I pray if it's a difficult transition that you would give them fear or that you give them courage. I pray, Lord, that if, it, that if it's one of those unbelievably difficult things where they've got to let something go, Lord, I pray that you would just give them the boldness to lay it down in front of you, to open their hands and have you place whatever it is that you want to give back to them. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be a church that embraces the transitions that you bring into each one of our lives. Lord, I pray we would embrace transition because we never want to be stuck. So Lord, I invite you this week, knowing that change is disruptive, Lord, I pray that you would mess us up. I pray that our boxes would disappear, that your grace would be unbelievably apparent to each one of us, and that we would decide to live lives sold out completely for you because of your gift of life to us. We dedicate ourselves to that task in Jesus' precious name. Help us restart, God. Amen.